Well, let me extend my greeting to you again. It's so good to see those of you who are here with us in the sanctuary and a joy to know that others are gathered together in households and backyards worshiping with us as well. Are there friendship pads in the pews next to you? I think I'm seeing some in the front. Sure. Take a moment to sign in. You don't need to pass it down, but uh, would you let us know that you're here by signing the friendship pad? Folks at home, we'd love to hear that you worshiped with us. You may send in a prayer request or reach out to us through the church office. I want to say a particular welcome to those of you who are visitors this morning, to those of you who are perhaps connecting with Black Knoll during this strange pandemic season and trying to figure out what it means to become a part of a body, or who are saying goodbye and trying to figure out what it means to say goodbye well during this season. Uh, A lot is being asked of us, friends. This morning, we'll continue our study of the Gospel of Mark. Our text is chapter 3, verses 20 through 35. If you're in the sanctuary, it's on page 993 in your pew Bibles. Let's listen again to the word of the Lord. Then Jesus entered a house, and again a crowd gathered, so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. When his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him, for they said, He's out of his mind. And the teachers of the law who came down from Jerusalem said, He's possessed by Beelzebul. By the prince of demons, he is casting out demons. So Jesus called them over to him and began to speak to them in parables. How can Satan drive out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. And if Satan opposes himself and is divided, he cannot stand. His end has come. In fact, no one can enter a strong man's house without first tying him up. Then he can plunder the strong man's house. Truly, I tell you, people can be forgiven all their sins and every slander they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. They are guilty of an eternal sin. He said this because they were saying, He has an impure spirit. Then Jesus' mother and brothers arrived. Standing outside, they sent someone in to call him. A crowd was sitting around Jesus, and they told him, Your mother and your brothers are outside looking for you. Who are my mother and my brothers? Jesus asked. Then he looked at those seated in the circle around him and said, Here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. This too is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Could y'all turn up the mic a little bit? 
So just one more public service announcement. Next week is Mother's Day, so act accordingly. Now, Mother's Day is not a big deal in my household, but I have to say that I'm glad I'm not preaching next week, and I'm particularly glad I'm not preaching on this text. Because we have been working hard as a congregation over the last few weeks to try to understand just why Jesus' contemporaries were so offended about things like sharing a meal with a tax collector, or neglecting to fast, or violating a Sabbath. We've had to work hard to understand why this created so much controversy. But it takes no effort for me to understand why people were provoked when Jesus gazed at a crowd and said, Who is my mother? If one of my children said that, let me tell you, they would get an earful. Are you kidding me? Do you know how you came into this world? Why don't you come out here, son, and I will show you who your mama is. But this is not a child. This is Jesus. And now Jesus is challenging something that is sacred to us. Why? At this point in his ministry, Jesus is a public figure. Wherever he goes, crowds gather. Authorities come from Jerusalem just to see what he's doing. Jesus' family up in Nazareth hears about what he is up to, the healing, the preaching, the crowds, the conflict, and they think he's out of his mind. Literally, the Greek, right, Julie, is he's gone berserk. So what do they do? Well, Mary and the boys go down to Capernaum to pick him up. Kids, you know that if your parents have to come and pick you up, it is not a good situation. Whatever expectations Mary had for her oldest son, something must have made her think that he'd gotten in over his head, that her son had taken a wrong turn and needed the family to come and take charge to bail him out. The family was probably concerned, sympathetic, perhaps a little ashamed. But then Mark introduces us to another party in this story, the teachers of the law from Jerusalem. They have a much less sympathetic and more sinister take on things. Jesus isn't just out of his mind. He's possessed. His power, it's undeniable, sure. But Jesus' power is a dark power, they say. A power from the devil, not from God. It is a sign of Satan's ongoing antagonism, not the inbreaking of some kingdom of, G of God. Jesus' enemies, those who would kill him in three years' time, and his most intimate relations agree. This can't go on. The ministry of Jesus must be stopped. Jesus responds with a parable. It's the first in a series of parables about the kingdom, how the kingdom comes, and how we perceive it or not. 
The parable has two parts, both with the same point. In verses 23 through 26, Jesus says, okay, I'll follow your logic. Let's imagine you are right. I'm possessed by Beelzebul, the prince of demons, and it's by his power that I'm casting out demons. Well, in that case, Satan is divided against himself. He's at one time overtaking a person with an evil spirit and at the same time expelling an evil spirit from a person. We all know this sort of thing can't continue indefinitely. A kingdom divided against itself will implode. It'll self-destruct. Even by their faulty logic, the scribes and Pharisees should have reached the right conclusion about Jesus' ministry, that with him, Satan's end has come. But then Jesus gives them a better way to imagine what's really going on. As John the Baptist foretold it, one more powerful has come. That's Jesus. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, Jesus can do what no one else can. He can withstand the devil as he did in the wilderness. Jesus has been sent by God to bind up the strong man, to plunder his estate, and to set the captives free. Satan's end has come. Jesus concludes with a promising but haunting saying, Truly, I tell you, people can be forgiven all their sins and every slander they utter, but whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. They're guilty of an eternal sin. Truly, I tell you, People can be forgiven all their sins. All. How would you fill in that all? Does all encompass the unbelievably wicked thing you read about in the news? All. Truly, I tell you, people can be forgiven all their sins. Does all cover that betrayal, that rejection? That hurt that makes you angry every time you think of it? All. Truly, I tell you, people can be forgiven all their sins. All. Does all include the thing that you would be horrified to say aloud this morning? The thing that you have done or failed to do? Does all cover those things you don't even know about yourself? The ways that your own life is accommodated to evil? The failures you will never even perceive and put into words? All. Truly, I tell you, people can be forgiven all their sins. The scriptures assume something that, well, we may not. We need Forgiveness. We need a forgiveness that is deeper and stronger than any kind of forgiveness or compassion that we can show ourselves. You see, we go about our days as our own prosecutor, our own advocate, our own judge, our own jury. We're rehearsing the arguments, the evidence against ourselves. We're justifying our decisions 
It's a fight. We fight a battle that is not our own. For we are not our own prosecutor, judge, and jury, but in fact, captives. The very good news of the gospel is that we do not have to struggle on our own. Jesus has fought every power that would come against us. He has shied away from none. He has disguised himself as a transgressor, as a thief on the cross, and descended to the devil's lair, where in the words of Martin Luther, he fought a magnificent duel. He won a victory over, listen, the law, sin, our flesh, the world, the devil, death, hell, all evils. And this victory of his, Luther says, he has given to us. Even though these tyrants, our enemies, accuse us and terrify us, they cannot drive us into despair. Friends, Jesus fought the battle that will wear us down and we will never win. He has granted us our freedom. He has opened the way to love and not self-consciousness. Hope and not despair. Yes, as we see in the scribes and the Pharisees, we may insist that our liberator is in fact the enemy. We may persist in the lie that the one through whom God has freed us acted by the spirit of evil and not of God. That's what it is to blaspheme the Holy Spirit. This is an eternal sin, not because God slams the door shut, not because God's forgiveness runs out, but because we block our own way to freedom. We become our own stumbling block. We put ourselves outside the domain of the all-forgiving God when we refuse the one that he has sent to liberate us from sin. If you're haunted by this line of an unforgivable sin, take comfort, friends. It was a warning to those who most ardently opposed Jesus, those who would eventually kill him. And if you have any regard, any concern for Christ, that sets you apart from them. But there is another warning in this text. Opposition to Jesus can come in more subtle forms. Jesus' own family come with understandable, even caring motives. But they are left out in the cold. They're not even greeted by their brother, by their son. Instead, Jesus muses to the crowd, Who's my mother? Who are my brothers? While his family waits outside. If this shocks us, it would have really shocked Jesus' hearers. For them, the family was not only a place of nurture and possible intimacy, it was their primary economic and social unit. Your family were the ones that you lived and work with. 
Loyalty to family was the way that you expressed loyalty to Israel as the people of God, and by extension, loyalty to God himself. Doesn't Jesus remember the commandment, honor your father and mother? But as we have seen in the last few weeks, something new is happening with Jesus, something that cannot be contained by the categories of tradition or even family. You don't get into the inner circle of this new thing Jesus is doing by claiming blood relation, by claiming to be his mother, by claiming to be a descendant of Abraham, by claiming to be a son or a daughter of the pastor. We come to understand the kingdom by claiming Jesus as one thing and one thing only the one through whom the kingdom of God comes, the bringer of God's forgiveness and freedom. We can claim him as nothing less, not even if we're his mother. The danger is not just that we will reject Jesus, as the scribes and Pharisees do, but that we will try and domesticate Jesus that we will try and make him serve our own seemingly good but too small ends. Some Christians have domesticated Jesus as a good moral teacher, as one who could be respected for his ethics and the Sermon on the Mount, even if he wasn't the Son of God. Other Christians have ironically made Jesus the patron saint of family values, And they've made discipleship basically being wed and bred, never mind the kingdom. But, friends, what about us? How are we tempted to remake Jesus into something other than who he claims to be, the one in whom the kingdom of God has come near? Though we know something the Pharisees and Jesus' family could never imagine, we know of his death and resurrection still. Our claim on Jesus undergoes times of clarification, times of testing. And I think during this season of transition, we are in just such a time when we are being asked again to say, who do you say that I am? We're confronted with two powerful images here, friends. Will we insist that we must take charge of Jesus and his ministry and end up on the outside? Or will we sit at his feet as Savior and Lord and find that we're among family? Let's pray together. Holy Spirit, help us. Everything in us wants to turn aside when we are provoked by you, Lord. Would you clarify our allegiance to you this morning, Jesus? Show us the ways that we have remade you and your ministry to be less than what it is.
And help us, Lord, to trust you together again. Lord, we make such a bold request because of your persistent kindness to us. In Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.